So back at seminary, two and, two and a half decades ago, there was a professor who was an Old Testament professor. He was very well written, very well respected. Students liked him. Um, he was the guy that taught us uh, Hebrew translation. And so the book that we learned to translate was Jonah from Hebrew into English. We actually did that, translated the book of Jonah from Hebrew into English. And, and he'd start the class all dramatic like this. It was a translation class, but he used the book of Jonah, I think because of this line. And he'd say, Jonah, is it the tail of a whale or a whale of a tail? And everybody would do that. We'd laugh and we'd go, huh, well, which one is it? And that was a little bit of his point to get you thinking. Because, you know, most people out there think it, it's just not real. It can't be. But over the years, I thought about that more and more, and I realized there is a deep and significant truth to our answer to that question. He made light of it. But you know, if you see the book of Jonah like nothing more than an Aesop's fable, like maybe there's something you can learn, a a morality tale, a do or a don't, that makes a lot of difference into how it is that you read the rest of the Bible, doesn't it? Jonah, the tale of a whale or a whale of a tale. A lot of people dismiss it as a fanciful story that's written with equal parts sarcasm and parody of, of one guy's disobedience, and you can do that. Or you can do what I do, and that's to say, I believe it because it's in the Bible. It's in God's Word. It isn't started out like a parable the way Jesus introduced the parables. It's handed to us as truth. So the first thing you've got to do for this message, much less the rest of the series, to really make any sense and have any meaning to you personally is to decide, is Jonah the tail of a whale or a tail of a very large fish or a whale of a tail? What do you personally believe that it is? turns out that Jonah is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. He's talked about there. He's called a prophet, just like what the book of Jonah tells us. The cities that are in the book of Jonah are all real cities. Everything about it points to places that really existed and people who really lived. Now, I can't explain to you how it is that Jonah lived in the belly of fish of a fish for three days before being vomited out onto dry land any more than I can explain to you how Jesus, the Son of God, rose from the grave after being crucified on the cross after three days. But I know I believe them both. I know that I accept both of them as truth because the Bible tells us they are true. The resurrection is the very foundation of the Christian faith. It's a basis for our hope in this life and in the next. I can't explain the resurrection, but that doesn't mean I don't believe it happened. But you know, you've got to come to terms with that as well. And what we believe around here is that the Bible is the inspired and truth-filled Word of God, and it is our starting point. We don't have to be able to explain it all to accept it as true. It's all important because if you read Jonah as a fable, if you read it as a story, if you, if you read it as a, as a tale not to be taken seriously, well then not only does that dismiss the truths that are in that book, but it also causes you to question everything else that's in the Bible. You see, today we get this great opportunity to take a good, honest, hard look at ourselves while studying a guy who seems to get it all wrong. And so often messages feel so heavy and overwhelming and, oh, I don't even want to deal with that because it all comes right at us. Well, today we get to look at Jonah. And looking at Jonah, you're going to get to see yourself. 
But you've got to start with what do you believe? If you don't accept Jonah as anything more than the biblical equivalent of a comic book story, what parts of the Bible do you believe? What parts do you believe and what parts do you dismiss? Do you just believe the parts that you can explain? Do you believe the parts that make sense and, and line up with your understanding of science in the world? Do you, do you only believe those parts that you can find historical books that, that validate for you? What is it that you believe in the Bible? Maybe the only stuff that you believe is the stuff that makes you feel good. The stuff that says you're loved and you're forgiven and that God's got a good plan for you. The stuff that makes you feel better about yourself no matter how you're living. If you're going to choose to read the Bible that way, be careful because you are entering a very, very, very slippery slope that has taken over America. Because that's not how God intended His Word to be read. And so today, during this message, while we engage with this text... While you listen to this message, I want to give yourself permission. I want you to give yourself permission to take a look at your life without having to talk to anybody else about it. In looking at the person of Jonah, I want you to give yourself the chance to look at your own life. Who you are, what you say you believe, and how it is that you're living. I also want us to take a look as how we as a body of believers need to hear this message. What might God be saying to us as a church family, about our obedience and our faith and where it is that we're supposed to be going? How should we be living and engaging the world around us as the body of Christ? Do we do it just the way we want to do it? Do we do just the things that we like and that we're comfortable with and that we can explain? Or do we trust and follow God to do what He's calling us to do whether we understand it or not? So we pick up today with Jonah, who is fast asleep at the bottom of a, in the belly of a boat. There's a storm that is raging around him and the captain comes to him and he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, you a, give a thought to us that we may not perish. I love that. He doesn't call him Jonah. He calls him, you sleeper, slacker. Why? Because in the midst of the storm, when Jonah should be doing something, he's fast asleep. He's doing nothing. And it makes me wonder, as Christians, are we sleeping? Are we sleeping our way through life when there's a storm raging around us, when people are looking to us, expecting to engage with God and make a difference? But as far as they're concerned, we're just sleeping. I don't want you to fall asleep in your faith. I don't want you to be one of those Christians who just wakes up and pays attention when it's convenient, when it fits into your schedule. I told you, Jonah, we're going to get a look at what he did wrong, but we're going to see a little bit of ourselves, aren't we? See, we're talking about this passage this week in the office, the, the similarities and the differences. And You know, there, there was another time that a guy fell asleep in a boat, right? Jonah's falling asleep in the boat in the middle of the storm, and, and Jesus also fell asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm. Jonah's on the Mediterranean Sea, Jesus and the Sea of Galilee. Both of them were raging storms. Both of them had the people on board feeling like they were going to be overwhelmed and might die. Jonah, however, is sleeping because he's running away from God. He's rebelling. He's not doing what God has called him to do. And so he's sleeping. He probably put himself into some exhausted state like, woe is me, like Elijah that we talked about a few weeks ago. And he's just tired from running. Jesus, on the other hand, was sleeping because He was totally at peace with God. He was totally at peace with who He was, 
with where he was and God's hand on the situation. And so with Jonah, these pagan sailors come to him and he says, wake up because maybe your God will care about us. Wake up, you sleeper. How can you sleep through all this? And the disciples, on the other hand, woke Jesus up and said, why don't you care? What are you doing sleeping? And the babies called him a sleeper. And they said, why don't you care, Jesus? We're about to die. Jonah is a lot like those disciples who fell asleep on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he brought him and he said, you know, just stay awake with me and pray. So all I need you to do is stay awake and pray. Isn't it interesting that the people who should have known better didn't? And the people who are the non-believers got it? And I wonder how often that happens. See, we've got this thing that says, well, I'm a Christian, which means God talks to me more than He talks to other people. You know what? That's not necessarily true. The bigger question is not who does God talk to more. The bigger question is who listens and obeys. Are you a believer who listens to the voice of God and obeys? Or are you just convinced that you have some fast track to hearing what God says? Jonah 1, verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we might know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, they threw dice, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? What they're really saying is, Who are you and who did you make so mad? What did you do? Where did you come from? Who are your people that this storm would fall upon us? Because, hey, we didn't do anything. Because when they cast the dice, it told them that Jonah was the one who was responsible. This is Jonah's chance to confess. It's like in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when God comes to Adam and He says, where are you? After Adam and Eve have sinned, God says, where are you? And these guys say to Jonah, who are you? Where do you come from? What do you believe in? What did you do wrong? It's Jonah's chance to turn the whole situation around, to get straight with them and with God. And in that moment, Jonah could have completely turned the entire situation around with a simple confession and an apology, just like Adam and Eve could have done. Instead, Jonah does this. He said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah decides to take a a high horse, we'd call it. He identifies his culture. He identifies his lineage. He identifies his religious affiliation. He doesn't answer their question. He He claims to be one of God's chosen people, but he is living like anything but a godly man. He speaks the truth about the character of God, but he's living a lie completely against what he says he believes. He says one thing and he does another. He's claiming an identity that he really isn't living in. It's no different than when we claim to be Christians around church folks because that's what church folks expect. But our co-workers and our friends and the people that know us outside of places like this have no idea what we believe because there's nothing in our words or our actions or anything else that would tell them that we believe in Jesus. And the fact is, it's a lot more common than you might think. It's why Christians are so often referred to to as hypocrites when we should be referred to as disciples. Because the life that we're living seems to be in complete contrast to what we say we believe. A disciple's life is consistent. A hypocrite's life is different. What we've done in America is we've made being a Sunday morning Christian normal. 
Maybe we're a Christian on Sunday morning once in a while when we get to church, but you know what God calls us to do is to be a changed believer 24 hours a day, seven days a week. These guys are looking at Jonah saying, help us out. Tell us what we do. If you call yourself a Christian, do you live like one? Do the people around you know what you believe by how you live or just by your words? Do they know you as a person who calls yourself a Christian because you love the idea of being forgiven? But you don't really live the life of a disciple who's been redeemed by Jesus. That's the all-important difference between being a Christian and being a Christ follower. We talked a while ago about the word Christian is used three times in the New Testament. Three. The word disciple is used 270 sometimes. God's not impressed with people who claim to be Christians. God is looking for people who are willing to be disciples who are willing to live a life that is consistent with what we say we believe. I read something once a long time ago, and it bothered me so much that it stuck with me. I read that the very first person we learn to lie to and deceive is ourselves. See, once we become comfortable accepting our own untruths, it gets real easy to lie to and deceive other people. It's not so bad up here, so it's not so bad out here. I know that's a hard word, But if it rings true, don't be like Jonah and run from it. Don't be a Jonah. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to your God. Jonah shows us why those who claim to believe in God are so often called hypocrites by the unbelieving world. In the ancient Greek, they understood the word hypocrite as an actor who put on one face but hid the real person behind the mask. Another definition I read was that They understood a hypocrite as someone who told their lies so often that they believed that they were truth. That no longer even knew the difference between real and pretend. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, Jonah knew better than to try to deceive God. He didn't. What he did was hide his truth. And what we find out today is that these pagan sailors, they understood Jonah's sin far better than Jonah did because they understood its consequences. So what does that say to us? We've got to take care to recognize, acknowledge, confess, and repent of our sin. Or we deceive ourselves and we lie about the person that we really are and the truth is not in us. It's so easy to pretend to be one thing while claiming to be something else. And the problem that Jonah ran into and these pagan sailors pointed it out to him He says that he's a Hebrew, that he believes in the one true God, but there's nothing about the way that he's living and what we're going to see in the next few verses that gives him any reason to believe that that's true. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them they weren't afraid of Jonah. They were afraid of dying in the storm, and now they're afraid of God. This is the point that Jonah should be discipling these pagan sailors. This is a point where he should say, You know what, guys? Hold on a moment i got to ask for forgiveness. God and i got to take care of some business. This is all because of me. I didn't do what God asked. I'm on your boat because I'm running the opposite direction. I'm going west and I really need to be traveling east. This is this moment to come clean, to get it straight, to confess and to repent and to turn and go the other way. And then to help these guys understand who God really is. Instead, they are the ones that grasp the awesome power of God while Jonah is sleeping and lying to himself. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
what they knew was that the problem with the water all had to do with Jonah. What do we do with you? So Jonah says to them, Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon him. In this moment, Jonah has decided that it is preferable for him to die than to be obedient to God. He would rather be thrown into the ocean and drown than to do what God has sent him to do. That's a pretty powerful thing to understand as far as what's really going on there. Maybe he hoped in death he'd be released from the call that God had placed on him. And I wonder how often we do that. We say, well, I'm not going to continue down this road because it isn't comfortable anymore or I don't like it or they hurt me or it isn't what I want. And I wonder how often we do exactly what it is that Jonah did. This is how loudly the wrong voice in his head was yelling at him. It's how much he allowed the wrong voice to yell at him. That he'd rather die than do God's will. This man who should have understood God's grace and mercy and hope would rather die than to do the simple thing that God called him to do. Now, I wonder how often we do the very same thing. We fancy it up in our minds to make it look and feel better, right? But are we any different? Because I, I think what we do is we choose judgment or a punishment of our own design rather than doing what God has called us to do. Because then at least we know that we pay a price. We, we know that we pay for it, right? We make a mistake. We're disobedient. Here's where I'm going to get right with God. We rebel and then we expect to set our own punishment. But life doesn't work that way. What God calls us to is to confess our sin and to repent. This is the point that Jonah said, you know what? And I have to wonder if this wouldn't have happened. If Jonah would have said, you know what? If you stop this boat from continuing west Tarshish and turn it back east where I'm supposed to go, the sea would have been calm in an instant. And there would have been a lovely trade breeze to blow them home. But he says, throw me in the water. He'd rather die. Yet God calls us to confess our sins and to repent of them. And when we do that, we receive forgiveness, which is far preferable to whatever self-inflicted punishment we might put on ourselves to make us feel better. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They wanted to live, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. These non-believing sailors were doing everything they could to live, when the man who claimed to believe in God wanted them to throw him in the sea so he could die. No wonder the world calls Christians hypocrites. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Do you realize the confession of faith these non-believing pagans just made? And if you've got a Bible and you're following along, Lord in your Bible is in capital letters. What that means is it's a translation from Hebrew, as I learned in my Jonah translation class, of the word Yahweh. The most holy and sacred name for God that the Hebrew people had. They refer to God by the most powerful name that they have. They call out to the Lord not once but twice in the proper full name for the God of Israel. Jonah's God. No longer is he just Jonah's God. He's now their God. And their proclamation is what Jonah should have been saying to them. They ask for mercy. They ask for unmerited mercy for non-believers. That God would relent the storm to save their lives. And what's so rich about this is they understand God's character. But Jonah didn't tell them. And what we find out later is Jonah was angry with God because God is merciful. 
And these guys on that boat are crying out to the Lord to be merciful to them. They understood that Yahweh is a God of mercy, even when we're undeserving of that mercy. So my question is, do you know the all-powerful God, your Creator and Redeemer, as a merciful God? Do you know Him well enough that you know His mercy? Do you know and respect Him well enough to fear His anger? Do you know Him well enough to know how much He loves you? These pagan sailors in the middle of a storm in a boat in the middle of the Mediterranean with a man of God who refused to speak the truth to them figured it out. Have you? Do you know God well enough to know the sound of His voice? Verse 15, So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Do you notice that Jonah was such a wimp he didn't jump? He told them exactly what needed to happen. If I go into the water, God will relent and the storm will stop. But he is such a wimp, he won't even do the right thing. He wants to die and he won't even do it. He's going to lay it on their shoulders. He's going to make these guys throw him in the ocean so that the storm will calm so they've got to carry the weight of seeing him die. That's how much of a wimp Jonah is. He's a whiny, wimpy coward who says the right words but doesn't act like he believes any of them. So what's the summary of the message for today? Don't be Jonah. Don't be Jonah. Don't be Jonah. Don't claim to believe one thing. Don't claim a heritage in Jesus that you're not willing to live. Don't be Jonah. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The storm stopped and they knew it was the power of God and they knew they had to be afraid because if God's got the power to stop a storm that is raging, what else does God have the power to do? You ever think about that in your life? You ever think about that with relation to your sinfulness? I know I do. I've learned the hard way. I've learned I don't feel the the threats and the angry words from people. I fear the wrath of an Almighty God. And I'm growing in my respectful fear and awe of God every day. I find it makes the whole notion of forgiveness that much more precious. Because I realize that God is merciful even to me. These pagan sailors, you know what they understood? They understood the magnitude of God's sovereign authority. They understood the power of this Yahweh that they called out to. And they had respect and fear for God in a way that Jonah simply did not. The moment that Jonah entered the water, the storm was silenced. It wasn't because God accepted Jonah as a sacrifice. It was that God used that act to show Himself powerfully to these sailors because they understood that a tempestuous sea doesn't just stop blowing the wind and rocking the waves. And yet the moment that Jonah entered the water, it all went quiet. We find out Jonah didn't die in the sea. God has another plan for Jonah. And God has a plan for you. The question is, are you running toward it or are you running away from it? Jonah chose Tarshish as the place to run as far as God, far from God as he could imagine. It, it, in his mind, that was the furthest city from where he lived that he could possibly get to. So he got on a boat and off he went. So what's your Tarshish? Where do you go? What do you do when you want to put distance between you and God? When you don't want to 
settle into and grow in your faith? What do you do when you don't want God to pay attention to, to you? Where do you go? What door do you hide behind? What person do you run to? Where do you go when you're trying to run away from God? Maybe for some people it's, uh, it's the excuse of the golf course. That's, that's what we do for skipping church. Maybe it's the ice house or the deer stand or the duck blind. Maybe for you it's alcohol or weed, which doesn't really do anybody any harm, or maybe other drugs that you've convinced yourself don't really hurt other people anyway. Maybe you bury yourself in work because that's a, a good thing to hide in. Maybe it's your kid's sports. Maybe you dive into shopping or pornography or binge-watching Netflix, all of which can end up being the same big monster. Any of those things and a million others are what people who say they are Christians use to justify staying away from God. You may not get in a boat and have that boat take you away, but you know what? You make decisions just like I do that we know are going to keep us away from God. The fact is there's really only two things that we can do with our lives. We can choose a life of rebellion and run from God, or we can choose to recognize God for who and what He is and to fall in love with Him with all that we are and run to Him with everything that we have. Those are the two choices you have. Jonah proves that the Bible isn't full of people who are all-stars for the kingdom. What Jonah proves is that there are people just like you and I that are never going to make the hall of fame, they're never going to make the hall of faith, but whose lives we can learn from. And we can begin to understand what it means to listen to the right voices that lead us to the right choices and the cost of listening to the wrong voices and making the wrong choices. I know i got a chapter in my life, and I bet you you do too. I'm not too proud of it. I knew almost three decades ago, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that God was calling me to leave my work that I really loved and become a full-time student for four years so I could become a pastor and a preacher. But I didn't want to. And I had reasons that I thought were really good for why I didn't need to. My excuse for ignoring Him and for being disobedient was, first of all, well, I can't afford that. That's going to give up a whole income and then school's going to be on top of it. No, that's just a crazy plan. But more than that, I, I convinced myself there's no way that God would ever be able to use a guy that skipped speech class in high school because I am so terrified of speaking in front of people. I mean, I literally barfed at the thought of having to preach to anybody. And what I did is I told God, there's no way you can use a guy who is shy and an introvert who'd rather blend into walls rather than stand in front of a group. There's no way you can use somebody like that. So for eight years, I told God no. And I knew I was being disobedient, and I knew I was running. Finally, God broke down all of my walls, and I submitted to Him, and and I had no idea what was in store for my life. And that was probably good because if I had seen everything that would come, I probably would have run for another 80 years. But I finally said, yeah, I'll go where you send me. Scared to death. 24 years later. After I finally stopped my rebellion, I finally stopped saying no, and I realized that what God was doing was preparing me to say yes. No made sense to me. But all He wanted me to do was to say yes to Him. They prepared me for this. They taught me to, those years taught me to hear and to know and to trust and be obedient to God's voice. Because you know what? When you ignore a voice for long enough, you get really clear about what it sounds like. And what God has done is made it really clear when I hear it today. Clear enough that when He says something different, 
than what seems to be common sense and the opinion of the people around me I know who to listen to. They prepared me to plant and to pastor the Open Door Christian Church. And if God would have told me about this, I would have said, no way, you got the wrong guy. Because that guy would have looked out at you and said, too many people, not going to happen. Those years prepared me to meet and to love all of you. And what I realize God has done is that, that this isn't my story. This is the story of God at work through many people who have set aside their own agendas, who have been willing to be obedient and say yes, even when they didn't understand entirely what it meant. And that's what God does with us. When God calls, we want to know all the details before we commit to a yes. I know I did. I want to know all the details. I wanted to know all of the exclusions. But God doesn't work that way. We shouldn't expect to understand the why questions. We just need to recognize His voice and answer His call. God takes care of the why. God will take care of the how. We just need to be obedient. To be the ones who simply say yes. The what is totally up to God and we follow Him in faith to find out where it is that He's leading us. And I can be one person and there's a lot of other testimonies like this in this room, I promise. But I'm one person that tells you whatever you've imagined for your life on your own is nothing compared to what God will do with you. If you say yes. You may be terrified along the way. You may have no idea what you're doing. You may not be sure what's around the corner. But you know what God does. And when we say yes, He will carry us through. I showed you pictures of footprints in the sand a few weeks ago. And the truth of life is this, that our steps, whether in obedience or rebellion, because you're either one or the other, your steps in obedience or rebellion tend to be magnified before they're forgotten because people follow them. People know who you say you are. People watch you. I don't care what your position is. I don't care what your standing is. I don't care what you do for a living. There are people in your world who are paying attention to what you do and where you go and what you say and how you act. Am I right? Yes, I'm right. Those footprints that you leave as you walk through life are either teaching people obedience or they're teaching people rebellion. And if you say that you're a Christian and you're teaching them rebellion, you're being a hypocrite. But if you say that you're a Christian and you show them what obedience looks like, you're being a disciple. Those footprints get magnified before they ever go away. If you're completely honest with yourself and you look backwards on your life, maybe your life right now, your your greatest troubles, more often than not, come as a result of your own sinfulness, your own selfishness, your own disobedience. You know, our economy is doing really well. You can give it whatever reason you want, but for the most part, it's a pretty good thing to be living and working in America today. But you know the one thing I hear over and over and over from people? Just don't have enough money. Just don't have enough money. Feels like we're broke all the time. I got news for you. If you find yourself in a personal financial mess, if you've just flat out outspent your income, I got a hard word. God didn't give that to you. That's not a struggle that God has set in front of you to live through. If you made those choices, you made those choices. You created it. And we've got to own it. If you say, well, you know what? I want to be an obedient Christian. I know church talks about tithing. And I love the idea, but I want to do that. It makes sense to me. God just gives us all of what we have, but I can't afford it. You're responsible for that. See, God's already given you 100% of your income. He doesn't take the tithe ahead of time. He allows you to be disciplined and obedient and to bring Him the tithe after you've been paid. And so many people say, I'd love to, I just can't afford it. If you're feeling like you can't afford to tithe, what you're really telling God in no uncertain terms is, God, thank you, but I don't trust you. 
I think our church is standing on the, on the edge of breaking into an even greater ministry. I, I think that what God is presenting to us, and, and as I look at the, the church in America, I see this happening all over the country. I think there's a greater opportunity to be significant and to do meaningful ministry for Christian churches that are willing to be obedient. And, and for us, it's in this area and around the world, but to do that, God is asking us to say yes to being obedient. Not to run down the list of what it's going to take. God's just saying, are you willing to say yes? It's our time as people and as a congregation to run to God, not to run away from God. So where are you today? Are you wide awake living fully for Jesus? Are you exhausted from your running, feeling broke and desperate, sleeping through life hoping it all just goes away? Have you allowed yourself to become a part of the Christian church of convenience that is so popular in America today? We call ourselves Christians, but we tell ourselves in God that we'd like to commit to church. I really would, but I've got all these other things I need to do. I'd like to be there every Sunday, but I just can't. I'm really busy. I don't think God made an exclusion for being busy in His Word. In fact, God calls today a Sabbath, a day of rest, the day where we stop being busy. And when you do that, what you're really telling God is, you know, thanks for the forgiveness, but I have more important things to do right now. I trust you with my death, God, but I don't trust you with my life. See, Jesus died for your sins so that you could have a new life in Him, not so that you could spend your life being too busy and running away from Him. So today, maybe is your day to come back to Him. Maybe this is your Jonah moment. Maybe this is the time that you say, I need to turn the boat around and go the other way. I realize the life I'm living. I, leave a, I realize the direction I'm going. And I realize the people that, I'm, that are following me, what I'm teaching them to do, and it isn't right. Maybe today is your day to turn around and come home. Maybe it's your day to say, God, You've already given me everything I could ever possibly imagine, want, or need. Now what I need to do is start using it to live for You. Maybe today's your day to come home. Imagine how the story of Jonah would have been different if Jonah would have taken his opportunity like what you have right now and said, hey, fellas, you know what? Let's calm the storm. God's going to do that in just a moment. Turn the rudder around. Let's go back the other way. Maybe it's time for you to turn the rudder around and take your life back to Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for the, the book of Jonah. Thank you that uh, there is a guy in your word that was a prophet who claimed to be a Hebrew, who claimed to believe in you, who for all that we can see at this point has done everything wrong, everything you wouldn't want him to do. And I don't know about anybody else, but I can relate to those moments. But God, use this as a day for us to turn around our boat. Use this as a day that your Holy Spirit becomes real to us in a new way. That your Holy Spirit pierces our hearts and changes our minds. And we realize that You have been there. You have carried us. You have given and provided for us. And what we've done is taken it for granted and run from You. God, I just pray in the power of Your Holy Spirit that any one of us, and, and it's probably every one of us, that needs to come back to You. Maybe it's for the first time or maybe it's again. But God, we quit making excuses for why we don't. And the don't can be a million things. And rather just say, yes, God, I hear you. Yes, I want to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.
finally, the, the story of Jonah can be a heavy one, and, it, and it, can be, it can be one that just bogs us down. And I don't want that to be what you leave with today. What I want you to leave with today is this. I want you to leave with the understanding that you have an incredible opportunity and a privilege in front of you. And the opportunity and the privilege that you have in front of you is not just to turn your own boat around and go in the other direction, but you've got the opportunity to speak words of life, which Jonah refused to do. You've got the opportunity to speak words of life into people that you work with, that you go to school with, your family, with your friends. You've got a chance to speak the word of life, to give a word of hope and a word of love in the name of Jesus to them. You've got the opportunity to be the one that can help them recognize the idea that, you know what, maybe if I acknowledge that this stuff is my own doing, Maybe tomorrow can be a better day because in Jesus, tomorrow can be a better day.